Brother, we love this is the Under the Hood podcast episode number two, and I promise this won't be a crappy sequel. I'm your host, Michael Carey, and I hope that you are all staying healthy and safe, and I hope that you all are washing those hands. So, NASCAR isn't back on track yet, however, the Pro Invitational Series took to the high banks of Bristol on iRacing. No surprise to see William Byron dominate, but that race had its own share of drama. We had a driver quit mid race and lose his sponsor before the race was even over on Twitter. We had two drivers wreck each other, and for the second straight week, Daniel Suarez got booted from the race. Now, here's a fast fact for you. Daniel made two starts in the series so far at Texas and at Bristol. Both starts resulted in disqualifications. He tried to wreck Ty Dillon, and then him and Larson got into it at Bristol. It was a wreck fest, but... It was fun to watch. So episode number one of this podcast was with the great Harris Wu, a graphic designer at NASCAR, and the amount of positive reception I received and the messages from listeners about their enjoyment meant so much. So I thank you for tuning into that episode. If you didn't have a chance to tune in, feel free to skip back and learn more about one of NASCAR's best graphic designers. If you're new to the podcast, I welcome you to the show. Basically, this podcast is about learning more about the story to members of the NASCAR industry. We, we have designers, we're going to have a driver, you know, even NASCAR YouTubers are going to get involved in this. So anyone in the NASCAR industry that I think has a unique journey uh, or has kind of blazed their own trail, I want to talk to them. So if you have any suggestions on who you want to learn more about, feel free to tweet at me your suggestion and I'll see what I can do. So this week, we've actually got someone who drives race cars. We have a NASCAR Xfinity Series driver this week. He is the first driver to appear on the podcast, and his journey is very unique compared to most drivers, and his mentality and his message to others, extremely inspiring, and he's only 19 years old. Hailing from the Golden State, he has had a racing career already spanning nearly a decade at the age of just 19 years old. He's dream chased his way into the NASCAR ranks, already netting two top 20 finishes at Iowa and Road America for JD Motorsports after making his Xfinity Series debut last season. He recently helped put together the E-Truck Series Night in America, which garnered attention from across the NASCAR industry and even helped to land a sponsor for the event with Filter Time, a company owned by Blake Cook and Dale Earnhardt Jr. His popularity on social media has led to his fans calling themselves the Rhino Gang, the self-proclaimed Chicky Nuggy connoisseur himself, NASCAR Next alum, and two-time winner of the prestigious Wendell Scott Trailblazer Award. I am very proud to welcome Ryan Vargas to the podcast. RV, a pleasure to have you here, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. You really you really hyped me up right there. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. So first and foremost, how are you doing, you know, amidst this 
entire pandemic. I know you just moved. Uh, so what's that been like for you with this ongoing pandemic? Yeah, no, definitely. It's been pretty good. Um, just been staying inside, staying clean. And uh, th now that it's finally over, I can kind of relax and just put all my attention on the next e-truck race. Um, staying inside, uh, moved in with my buddies, uh, Myatt Snyder, Brad Perez, and uh, Veronica, and we're just all ha really enjoying it. It's a beautiful house. We just moved out to Huntersville, and uh, I'm excited to kind of spend spend a, a quite a, quite a bit of time here with them. So the e-truck series night in America deal that you helped put together with two other people, we're going to tie back to that a little bit later. First, I want to go back to the beginning for you. I want you to tell me about, you know, how did you find NASCAR and where does your story of your racing career begin? Yeah, so I grew up, I, I played every sport, basketball, soccer, football, um, baseball, you name it. I played it, and I sucked at all of it. Um, it was, <laughs> I was awful. I remember playing baseball, and they would call me up to bat, and the entire team would, like, groan. It was, it was, not, it was not the most encouraging thing, but they had a reason to. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I just never liked it. I never had fun doing it. And I'm very, I'm very lucky to have my parents who weren't very adamant on me playing a sport like that. Like if I didn't like it, they didn't, they weren't, it wasn't the end of the world for them. Um, mm -hmm. But I had always liked cars. I always liked monster. Like I was a big monster jam fan. Like I have photos of me meeting Dennis Anderson and losing my mind at 10 years old. Like, that was just so nuts to me. And now, like, I, anything with four wheels and a motor, that was what I loved. And uh, one day I just saw my dad watching NASCAR. I think I was, like, I think this was 2008, 2009. And I thought it was – at first I thought it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. That's surprising. Well, I mean, you got to think about it. I was seven or eight at the time. So um, I, I just saw it as cars going in circles at first. And then – it took my dad taking me to Irwindale Speedway back in 2009 and then to Fontana back in, I think it was also 2009, I saw Tony Stewart win. And uh, that's when I really just kind of fell in love with the sport. Um, and I just knew that that was something that I wanted to be involved in, whether I was a driver or something else in it. I just, I, I loved it. And it was, it's really funny because that night I went to Irwindale, this is, this is one of my favorite stories to tell. So we go to Irwindale, and one of the people that I see in autograph sessions is one of the recess aides from my elementary school. I was in, I was in like, fourth grade at the time. And turned out her son raced Bandoleros, which are these little kid cars. And we were like, oh, like, you raced? Like, yeah, we're actually planning on selling it. And my eyes instantly got really wide, and I looked at my dad, and I was like, Dad, you, yeah, it's time. Yeah, you, are, you already know. So we, we, before we buy the car... We go to Orange Show Speedway. We test the car. What I didn't realize is that race cars are fast. <laughs> and I hop in this car, and my dad's in my ear the entire time. He's like, make sure you take it easy. It's your first time. There's no need to set the world on fire. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Get in the car. Send it through one and two. Don't lift. Somehow make it out of the corner. And by the way, this is on my up lap. So obviously, I wasn't full, full, full song through one and two. Oh, man. So I get into turn three. I'm like, okay, I cannot lift. So I drive it in. Car goes straight. I pound the wall. Oh god! <laughs> and my dad was losing his mind. He's like, "Like you're you're all over the place." Blah blah. blah. Um, and it turns out we, all we did was bend a spindle. We were able to get that fixed really quick. We actually met the Barker family, Kaylee and Ron Barker and Vicky. They were there racing bandoleros, and they actually helped fix our fix our fix our bando. And I was able to run the test for the whole day and proceeded to keep it out of the wall. So that was good. Um, and I remember on the drive back, my mom and dad looked at me. We had orange shows 45 minutes from my house back in California, and they said, all right, 
you have this entire drive to decide whether we actually do this, we actually race, or we go to K1 every so often and you just, you know, you go to school, find a regular job, and, you know, try to work or something. So it took about 10 minutes and I said I wanted to race. Um, it didn't take much deciding on our end, and my dad told me instantly, he said, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to make you a champion. And that year, my first year of racing, 2012, we won the California State Championship. So, Oh, wow. Okay. It was, uh, it was a big deal. So my family – my dad takes a lot of pride in his bandolero work. So after your bandolero start, you, did you immediately graduate over to late model racing? No. Um, I ran bandoleros for three years. Uh, so I ran from 2012 to 2014. Um, got the state championship in 2012, 13, and 14. Tied for the national championship in 14. Uh, I think in, in 2014, we ran like 50 races and won 46 of them. Wow. So that's when we were like, okay, we need to get out of these. <laughs> we got to get out of these now. So um, we initially were looking into doing legend cars, um, which is a great step for any young racer. Um, but for us, it was just, it's really expensive for legend car racing, um, especially with the, the motor before. Now they have the water-cooled engines, but before they had the air-cooled. Uh, Yamaha engines and out on the west coast with all the altitude changes for every racetrack you know they're very susceptible to blowing up and we knew that that was going to be a big issue say if we blew up more than two motors in a year we would kind of go under like in terms of what we can afford so we decided to buy a street stock um and we with what we did with that street stock we bought it straight out of the family the burgess family chuck burgess we bought that car took it to the bullring um on an open trailer literally showed up late for practice day because we had a flat i think it was um got four laps of practice in and i went straight into the race started 12th finished fifth and in, in my first street stock race and oh wow i think after that we had 11 races and only one of those i didn't finish outside the top three so the street stock is kind of like one of the most sentimental cars I'm attached to. I, I named her Christine after that car from the, movie, the Stephen King movie. So, okay. <laughs> um, she was, she was a good car. <laughs> so did you keep that? Did you keep that car? Like for your collection? Oh, no, I wish I got approached after winning my first street stock race by a uh, Dave Eshelman of Eshelman racing. He said, you know, they wanted me to drive for them. And so in 2016, we moved to super late and late model racing. And to do so, we sold the street stock. And to this day, I have absolutely no idea where it is. And that is absolutely heartbreaking. Don't, don't break up suck. Oh, man. my God. That was the worst breakup I've ever had. <laughs> After you, you jumped from that series, uh, where did you end up going? Yeah, so we did uh, super late models and late models uh, for two years. One year with Usherman Racing. And then after 2016, we moved, branched out to our own program. Um, we decided to buy our own late model. It was the former car of, um, of, uh, Ryan Partridge. He's the local hero at Irwindale Speedway. He's one of the guys I grew up racing. Um, I grew up watching race at Irwindale Speedway. So to have that car was a pretty big deal. We instantly started the year with a win and just progressed. Yeah. I think we got four or five wins back in 2017 and just, um, it snowballed and we were able to kind of be in the right place at the right time and. It was just a really, really good year. It's that car was a very a big blast to drive. They actually changed the tire rule that year to what was the street stock tire. So from mm -hmm. my knowledge of racing the street stock two years prior, 
actually came back to help me when I raced the late model. So that was fun. <laughs> How about yeah, that? Exactly. You know, you never, you never um, forget old habits. So at this point, you start. It sounds like you're about to start knocking on the NASCAR. Yeah, we. What I didn't realize was back in twenty. I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. In 2016, we had a decent year. We didn't win. We didn't win any races, but we finished on the podium a couple times. Just try to maintain a good, solid season. I think we. I don't even think we wrecked out of a race, which was awesome. I think we finished like 60 something in the nation, um, out of like thousands of drivers, and uh, that got me the Wendell Scott Trailblazer Award and. I got up on stage, gave my speech, and it got some pretty good attention. Once I got the word that I got the Wendell Scott Trailblazer Award in 2017, I knew that that was going to be a big deal, and I submitted my application to go for the Drive for Diversity program. And from there, you know, I did the combine. I think we were first fastest at the combine. The workout went okay, and then all that, and made the team. Um, uprooted and moved to Charlotte, and that was kind of the start of the whole journey. So let me ask you this: You were based, you were based in California this entire yes. time, and then you moved to Charlotte, correct? How big of a gamble was that for you? To because you're moving your entire life, everything that you know and you're used to, from not only just from a different city, but we're talking from a whole different time zone and a whole different side of the country. It was a very big gamble. Um, it was definitely one of the hardest things for me, you know, being 16, I was super excited and, you know, obviously a little bit oblivious to some of the things behind the scenes, but looking back on it at the same time, you know, what we did with how little we had, cause I, like I talked to my parents a little bit prior to doing my first KNN season. They told me, they said, if, you know, after 2017, we were done. We didn't, we couldn't afford to keep racing. Um, but that was it. You know, we couldn't afford much else after that so you know the fact that we got picked up and were able to move to charlotte that was a big testament to not just what i was able to do but to what all the hard work that my dad put in behind the scenes and the guys that we hired you know racing those late models as well um we like i said we were working out of a small garage and didn't have the nicest tools didn't have the brand new car that car at the time was seven eight years old now it's 10 years old and they won races and it was bad fast. And we went up against some of the biggest names in, in on the West coast and beat them. And it, it meant a lot to us to have the Na like NASCAR themselves recognize that. And that was a big, big thing to kind of, it really hit home for us. So you have a very unique story when it comes to, uh, I see a lot of old school in you, you know, working with what you have, you know, things are tight for you and you make it work. You also have a, a very unique scenario for a NASCAR driver and one who's actually been very public about this. Uh, Ryan, you were born with craniosynostosis. Yes. For those unfamiliar, can you tell me about what that condition entails? So basically, craniosynostosis, uh, it's basically when your soft spot, uh, as a baby, you obviously have the soft spot. Mine uh, closed and it caused a fission of the skull on one side of my head. Uh, Specifically, my craniosynostosis was a uh, coronal synostosis that affected the, I believe it was the right side. It, it affects the whole shape of your head, and one side of my head is flat. Yeah, it's my right side. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it just, it can really, I got very fortunate. I, I say it all the time. I'm very lucky that my craniosynostosis was not nearly as severe as some others. Um, and I was able to have my surgery when I was about 11 months old. And I've had this really cool scar that goes all the way around my head. And uh, I didn't realize how big 
of a deal it was to have this until about a year and a half, two years. Kids would come up to me saying, I have the same scar as you. And this would happen on a by race rate basis. Like every other race, there was a kid or a couple kids or adults who had it. And it, cause that was the first year I really started touring. You know what How I mean? How about that? The Ford the Mustang guy is going to so, design a Chevy Corvette. There's a severe violation in there. And another one that I just found, and I'm starting to work with again this year. Uh, one is cranial care bears. And another is uh, faces, the national cranial facial association. Um, and through there, getting connected with them, we've been able to raise, I think, in total, th- a couple thousand dollars for uh, cranial care bears. And we, just from the last e-trucks race, we've been able to start doing some stuff with faces. So it's really just to bring awareness. Like I said, my cranial synostosis was not nearly as severe as others. Um, and I'm very fortunate. And what I try to do with my platform that I'm on, that I'm so honestly lucky to be on, I try to bring some attention to it. Because you, you say cranial synostosis, nobody knows what that is. It's something that isn't very heard of. Um, so now that I get to kind of be on this platform and talk talk about it and, and say to like these kids and say, hey, I, I can do this. Like I've made it this far. I've come from where you're at. Don't let that hold you back. For me, my scar is the reason why I'm here today and I'm able to keep racing and I'm able to live a normal, healthy, happy life. Um, and I'm very lucky about that. So for Iowa Xfinity Race, we went without a sponsor. We could not find a sponsor for Iowa, and the car was just going to be red. And I said, you know what? Let's wrap the car with cranial care bears and have their have them be on the hood, the quarter panels, the deck lid, everything. Let's just let's just make this a cranial care bears race. Let's make this race more special, not just for myself but for them. So we just put them on the car. Basically, what they do is they be besides raising awareness for cranial synostosis, they also um, provide families with uh, the, the the needs they. Um, the needs they need for when they're in the hospital, as well as they sometimes will raise money for some families to alleviate some of the costs of the craniosynostosis uh, corrective surgery. Um, and they also give the kids teddy bears while they're recovering um, and stuff like that. So, you know, just for those families who are going through it, because it is not a cheap process, unfortunately. Um, and it is it's really important to me that there is a organization like cranial care bears and faces out there that provide that kind of support. That car is the car I made my national series debut in. That was a very special, that race will always remain my favorite race that I've done. When it comes to your condition, did you ever have a, have a feeling that, you know, this might kind of set me back in my racing career? I mean, h- how did you adapt to having something different? From well, the other for me, the biggest thing initially was when I first got a helmet. If someone pokes my head in the wrong spot, it kind of tingles a little weird. And that was something for me, like, I can't wear hats straight. I have to, like, look in the mirror and, like, make sure I straighten it. Uh, the little sensors, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't know. The feeling in my head is a little off. So when I do, when I wear hats or when I put on my helmet... When I first started, it was a bit of an issue, uh, but now now it's not nothing that I'm too uh, that I worry about, and that's very good. Um, and it's not it's not anything that's really concerned me about racing. Um, I know that there may be some issues that come along the line. Say if I get in a couple big accidents, I don't know the strength of my head, but you know that's something to definitely look at a lot later along the line. Um, but obviously we're not banking on getting in a lot of crashes either. Do you have to have a special helmet made for you with special padding? Any helmet you want, you just kind of have to, you know, adjust it, I guess. Yeah, the helmet that I wear, I don't do anything with it. Luckily, I don't have to do anything with it. That's the big thing for me is that I've gotten so used to it to where I don't have to worry about it. Now, I know that some people, you know, 
their heads are a little bit more misshapen than mine and they would have to do something different. So it's really just a preference thing. And I will say uh, the scar mm-hmm. can definitely be an image. Oh yeah. That's actually, that's something we went for with my helmet. Um, I got my helmet painted by uh, off axis paint and we modeled it after AJ Foyt's uh, Indy 500 helmet. And we actually added a line, uh, like a zigzag scar line down the side. And it's very easily transferable to any paint scheme that we do for a helmet. So now every helmet that I have will have my scar on the helmet. Big conversation starter too. Um, I'll never forget um, being at Iowa and I was helping the team push the car through tech prior to first practice. And a kid came running up and he had craniosynostosis. And so we took a picture next to the car with the cranio care bears all over it. And uh, that's easily one of my favorite photos because it's just like that. Like there was a reason for me to have that car like that that weekend. What does it mean for you to have young fans of yours that that have your condition? Like what, what does it mean for you when they come running up to you and it's like, look, like I have I have a scar too. Like what's that it connection means like? It means a lot. It's really hard to just kind of put into words because frankly, from where I come from, I'm just not used to having fans. Um, this is something that's just kind of becoming more uh, common for me this year and last year a little bit. Um, now having raced at the extended level, my fan base has grown a lot more than I anticipated and having a good basis of, you know, what we call cranio kids who want to be my fan. Um, that's a huge, huge blessing. And uh, it means the world to be able to go to these races and see kids with craniosynostosis and be kind of like that motivator for them so that they can say, I want to be a race car driver one day, and they could actually do it. So we don't have a teammate behind us, so we don't want to try and go up and sell that outside line, the 19 of Gordon Aces, so we just stay on the bottom. Don't worry about that outside lane. The NASCAR social media community is a very tightly bonded network, and I remember seeing Joseph Lombard, also known as N2SC4R on YouTube, uh, he actually sponsored your late model efforts last year. I know you're someone who's made it clear that sponsorship makes rides hit the asphalt. So tell me about how that deal came about with Joseph. Really quickly, which was a very big blessing. Um, back in November of 2018, I got informed that um, the team I was racing with at the time, Rev Racing, was going to shut down their third car, i.e. my car, and uh, I would be left without a ride. The day I found that out was the day that I had a podcast episode scheduled with Joseph and his brother, Zachary. You know, we were going to talk about my plans for next year and all that stuff. And I said, listen, like, this is the news. You know, you've seen it now. This is out. You know, we don't know if I'm going to be racing next year, blah, blah. It kind of came together really neatly. Um, so I mentioned earlier how in 2017, we bought our own car. Well, when we moved to North Carolina, we sold that car to a friend of mine, Alec Martinez. Um, and he ran the race. He ran that car part-time in 2018. Um, and he got caught up in some other people's messes and ended up, you know, really strapped for funds and started renting his car out to other big name drivers. And around that time, he had messaged me saying, Hey, you know, we'd love, I'd love to have you in the car for a couple of races next year. We could win with you driving, you know, this car better than I do, you know, the track. And I said, yeah, I mean, I'd love to, it's just, I don't have the money or means to do so. And that was going to be the plan for 2019 was to race late models with Lee Falk racing and Alec Martinez. Our initial plan was just to do a handful of races. We didn't think we were going to do any more than 10 because um, we were just in such a we were in such a hole. It, it, it hit our family really at a terrible time, unfortunately. That was around the time my grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer. We didn't have the means to race. And so I you know, got a hold of uh, Joseph and Zachary. Um, we did the podcast. 
Um, and then I stayed in contact with them. You know, I've known Joseph for about a year leading up to that point. And I just kind of kept contact with them. And I told them my situation. I told them, hey, you know, Alec wants to do this. And they said, you know what, we, we want to do it. We'll, we'll sign on. We'll do five races. So that put me in a race car for five races, which all those races were twin nights. So that led to me doing 10. And I remember showing up to Irwindale for the first race of the year. We unloaded fastest in practice, fastest in qualifying, and won the race. And after everything we had gone through during that offseason, it was like storybook. It was probably one of the most important victories to me. During that offseason, I kind of questioned if I even belonged in a race car. Um, I, I questioned why do I even keep trying if I'm just going to, you know, fail. To go and return to my home track after being gone for over a year and dominate like we did that night, it meant a lot. When Joseph, Joseph was there, we got him, I actually got him to ride shotgun in one of the four banger cars in, the, in, in their enduro division. He got to see me win and all that. And uh, I think that night we decided let's go run a full season. And they even also sponsored some of my efforts with the folks. So it went from being a five weekend deal to doing nearly 30 races. And they didn't cover 100% of that. But the fact that, that we were able to find some funding to do, to help us out and alleviate some of those costs, I, I can't say thank you enough to, their, to Joseph and their family because it, it, they, what, what they stepped up took us out of an in, in, incredible hole. And uh, that led to us being able to go and do those Xfinity races. It went from us worrying about, am I going to race? It went to us thinking about, okay, we're racing. What else can we do? By far the most special thing to me. Ryan, how do you fight those moments where you might question, do I belong here? I've had a lot of those moments, <laughs> um, especially over the last two years. Um, but the biggest thing that I learned was there is no reason for me to be NASCAR next. There is no reason for me to be racing Xfinity other than the hard work that we put in. When you uproot your entire life, leave your friends, leave your high school life, lose out on your you know, early, late teenage, early 20s, and move across the country to live by yourself. I lived by myself last year um, to pursue a dream. You have a lot of time alone to think. You have a lot of time alone to work. To have the season that we had last year, um, when, you do, maybe, when you make those moves, when you make that big decision to change your entire life and base it around your dream, you don't change that. You don't quit that. Your mind, you go through a different state of mind than you've ever been in. I went from thinking, okay, well, this is something that could possibly happen to, okay, this is something that is happening and I need to figure out how to make it happen. And I will do whatever it takes to make it happen. It, it's a very big testament to every, everything that's gone in behind the scenes, the sacrifices that my family has made, the people who have supported me along the way. Um, it led to me going from, from being the kid who raced Bandoleros and didn't know what he was doing and struggling to, you know, our family struggling to afford that to being able to go and race Xfinity. I really think that this is one of the things, the way you are, you're 19 years old and you have this way of thinking. I can already sense that. And I don't know many drivers, but personally, but I can really feel in your voice alone how bad you want this. And to me, for someone seeing 
a driver climb the ranks, it's refreshing, but it's also motivating that you had the guts to basically quit your life in California, move out to North Carolina and go all in with your dream. It's just, it's for 19 years old. That's insanely Thank impressive. You. I, and, and that's the thing too. Like I, I, my dad, we butt heads on everything, but one thing I always say that I learned the best from him is that he, he came from, my grandmother was a single mother raising both my, my dad and my aunt, my aunts working multiple jobs and trying to do that. And my dad worked extremely hard to make these things happen, to make life work for him and our, our family. I know that his work ethic is something that has propelled me to be better and seeing everything that we've put in and having that feeling. And I know what it feels like to have everything you worked for ripped away. Cause I experienced that at the end of 2018 to have the rise back up and to have to learn the ropes, learn the marketing, the PR, the management, to learn how to work on the cars, to learn how to make sure you hit your lines, to, to practice patience, to practice having the right mindset. You don't win by how fast you are. You win by your mentality. Let's move over to your Xfinity series. Uh, last year, you made a handful of starts with JD Motorsports on road courses and ovals. You also scored two top 20 finishes. How did that deal with JD Motorsports come about? Yeah, like I, like I mentioned, you know, with the Lombard family, you know, kind of helping us out launch our late model t uh, program for 2019, it, it opened up the opportunity for us to, oh my God, Veronica came in with the guinea pig. I love guinea pigs. Hi. Hi, there's a guinea pig. I'm holding the guinea pig now. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. So I'm holding a guinea pig. Oh my God, I love it. His name's Oreo. Oh my God, this is adorable. Okay, you can have him back. Sorry, I, I love guinea pigs. <laughs> that's, that's staying in the podcast. I, I hope so. so. You know. Thank you, Veronica. <laughs> um, no, but uh, it's like, I'm, like going back to what I said, you know, having the Lombard family kind of help us out doing this late model program, it opened up the opportunity for us to, you know, gather the funding to go do a race with X in the Xfinity level. And I had been told by several people in the industry that if I – you know, if we can't afford to do K&N, make the right move and go do an Xfinity start. And that was the best advice I'd ever taken. Um, it led to me. So it kind of started back in February of last year. I went to the, I was at Speed Weeks. I go to every race and I always hand out cards to people, um, business cards, and try to set up meetings and meet with team owners and drivers and everybody. And just, if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. So I try to be at every race that I can. Um, and that weekend I met Johnny Davis and we had talked a little bit on and on about doing a race and about if it, it started to become real around April, that's when I started having the meetings and getting everything lined up. You know, once it was official, it was a big sigh of relief, but then that whole memory of the, the months prior to that Irwindale wind kind of came back to me. It was like, okay, well your last time in a NASCAR stock car was Kane and you lost that ride. Do you belong in a NASCAR stock car? Do you do you belong out there? Should you even be out there? You never won a K&N race. Should you even be out there? And to go out like we did and run inside the top 15 at points, battle door to door with big names and leave there with a top 20 in a car. I, I say all the time the car was better than I was. That car should have finished in the top 15. 
Um, Wayne Carroll did a really good job setting that car up. Very special to me to go there and run as well as we did. We talked about earlier, you know, validation. I remember seeing, I think it was after either Iowa or Road America. You tweeted out a picture of your car. And I think you said like top 20 finish. And I could just see the excitement on your face. Tell me about what validation that brought for you as an up-and-coming driver. I got out of my car on the cool-down lap after the race. I was beat up. I wasn't, I wasn't falling out of the seat. Everyone will tell you that I fell out of the seat. I wasn't falling out of the seat. I was just hot. It was hot in there. <laughs> um, I was on the cool-down lap, and uh, Johnny Davis comes over the radio and says, Hell of a job, buddy. You earned that. Um, to have your car owner come over the radio and say something like that means a lot. And I remember getting out of my car, sitting on the ground, and just sitting next to the car because I wanted to be in shade. It was so hot. Having a water poured over me and seeing Chris Rice from College Racing come over and say, you kicked ass. To have all these other drivers come up and give me a high five after that race. To have put on, to give, to have, and at that time, that was the best result for the 15 car that year as well. Um, Well, I think we tied it, actually. Um, That was where it hit me that we did something big. And I remember checking my phone once that race had ended, and I had hundreds upon hundreds of notifications on Twitter, um, Instagram, texts, you name it. There was people just talking about it. I mean, I remember NASCAR and Xfinity tweeting about the Rhino brings in a top 20, and it was like, this is nuts. Like, that was really, really special to me. Where did Rhino come from? So, Rhino comes from you know i could i could i could lie and bs to you and say that it came from me being a hard-nosed driver and being a badass but it came from me playing t-ball and being one of the fattest players but also one of the fastest runners um <laughs> yeah but i'm also but it also rhymes not rhymes but it kind of works with ryan so i just kind of left ran with it and now it's more of a thing so that's great <laughs> oh my god that's that was not at all. Yep. The answer after, I was expecting. When I first, oh when I first started telling that story, my parents used to get mad at me because they were like, no, you need to make it more serious. But now they're like, whatever, it's, it's your brand now. <laughs> but they are a hard, they're, they're hard-nosed exactly. too, though. I've had to, I've had to do so, out of the way before. It happens. Hey, that, that's a great way to kind of show what exactly. your name means, though. As you're aware, iRacing right now is a monstrous thing in NASCAR right now. We have the Coca-Cola iRacing series. We have the Heat Pro series, which is a video game. But when it comes to iRacing, that's a major thing right now. And you actually had a hand in developing the E-Truck Series Night in America, which you helped put together with John from Speed Visions and Silver Crown Racer Austin Blair. Seemed like a random idea at first and then garnered a ton of attention. How did you go from concept to reality? So the crazy thing is, is for when you ask a lot of people about concept to reality, they talk about, yeah, it took this day, and then on this week we did that. This all happened within a span of two hours. Um, I put out the tweet um, once the word came out that there was things – there was just nothing but negativity on my timeline. Everybody was upset. Everybody was sad. Everybody was bummed out. So I said – so I put out there, I said, what if someone – what if I put – would it, who would be interested if I put on a race and let fans, racers, other people, whoever in the community race? And I was expecting that to get a couple dozen likes and 
maybe one or two retweets and, you know, get a couple drivers interested. And by the time two hours came around, that tweet had gotten over a thousand likes and a couple, nearly a hundred retweets and big name drivers were mentioning it. Denny Hamlin even chimed in on it. Like you had big esports drivers like Ray Alfala already put their hat in the ring. And then you had Xfinity and truck drivers say they want in and that kind of made me realize, I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> we ought to actually like do this and do it right now. I hit up my buddy John, um, John uh, from Speed Visions. He kind of coined the term Truck Series Night in America, and he has this, he has this spectacular um, brand and T-shirt line, which I recommend anyone to go check out and buy one. The funny thing is we've done Truck Series Night in America, but it was like five or six of us doing like a 10-lap dash around Fontana. I told him, I said, hey, we need to bring it back, and we're going to make this big. And I told him the whole thing, and then Austin Blair, he jumped in and took over a lot of the number work behind the scenes, which I am very thankful for because I don't know how to do any of that. Um, <laughs> and it became a, it became a three-man operation, um, which was really worked out very well. And uh, a couple hours pass, and we get, I get a DM from Blake Cook. And he says, hey, I want, how do we make this race powered by filter time? And then we get several other sponsors. And then we get a broadcast partner in Cody Esports. And within a day, we had the entire groundwork for the race. And that was nuts. And then Pody B Sports says, yeah, we can do it Thursday. So this was on Sunday that we were putting this all together, having these meetings. We had five days. <laughs> we had five days, and we didn't realize how big it was until when we put out the open invitation for the drivers. And, it, and we were anticipating having it up for a day, day and a half, and we were expecting probably 100 people to sign up. We had 240-something people sign up within the first hour. Um, wow. And that's when Austin Blair blew up our text saying, we need to close this, we need to close this, we need to cap it. And I'm like, yeah, we've got to cap it. So we capped it at 300. So within two hours, we had 300 people sign up to qualify in. So, we had, so the format kind of went, we had 23 locked-in pro guys. Um, and that included the likes of Ray Alfala, Christian Eckes, um, we had Josh Balicki, we had Michael Kahn. We had drivers from all over. We even had Sloppy Joe, who's from the NASCAR Heat Pro League. So there was racers and esports drivers from all different walks of life in this race. I can't believe that we were able to actually somehow do all those heats and bring 300 people down to 20. That was incredible. What was your reaction when you first started realizing how big this was going to get? I was just excited because I we made sure that everything we did with this was was not going to be a big benefit to us. I shouldn't say not be a big benefit, but we didn't want to bank off this. We wanted to make this a community race for the community that supports racing. And like I said, we had media members, we had truck Xfinity Cup drivers, we had Coca-Cola drivers, we had Heat Pro League drivers, you had legend car racers, you had silver crown racers, you had dirt racers, you had SCCA drivers, you had all different walks of life race this race. And it was probably the biggest parody I'd ever seen in a field on iRacing. And those drivers who had to qualify in Remember, we dropped 300 people down to 20. So those 20 people had to beat 280 drivers to make the race. And so when, you, we, when we got to the race, you had a driver who's currently competing in the road to pro, Michael Frisch, pass four-time champion Ray Alfalo for the lead while three-time Mexico Series champion Ruben Garcia is running third. It was the most insane group of drivers I have ever seen in an iRacing race. What do the future plans look like for the e-truck series night in America. We're series. putting, we're currently actually I'm, later today, I have some phone calls regarding it. Um, but we're going to be, we're already planning round two. 
um, the tentative um, time for it will be in about two weeks from now. So um, around the um, in about two weeks. So we we want to make sure, try to do this about every month, um, just so that we don't dilute it, we don't um, overdo it because. The whole thing of this isn't supposed to be a series. We don't want this to be a series. We want this to be, like like I said earlier, we want this to be a race, a community race for the community. And everything that we did, we raised over, we raised nearly $800, and that's not including any second-party stream donations for Cranial Care Bears and Faces. And that's just all from the entry fees and the driver and from the sponsors. So, you know, this and the race itself being broadcast by Podium Esports, it got over 160,000 impressions across all platforms. So this race became one of the biggest iRacing races ever within the span of six days. And that was, we take a lot of pride in what we did that, that, that during that week. It was very stressful, but we were all really glad to be a part of it. Outside, outside, still there, still there, outside. Ryan, obviously there's no racing going on right now. Um, you know, what are your future plans look like for 2020 if, if you know, we do in fact yeah, go back racing? Yeah, you know, the plans include, you know, we're, the main goal right now is just to get back in the Xfinity car, get back in the National Series, you know, obviously still hunting for sponsorship. And hopefully, you know, we could tie in all the esports stuff that we're doing and make that kind of a fun tag, tie in to all of this and um, make it into its own thing. You know, obviously I'm not going to use e-truck series to you know profit but i would definitely like to introduce partners and stuff like that through it i just want to be in a race car again <laughs> um that's it you know <laughs> we talked about it you know it's you know it's unfortunate because i'm one of those people like we talked about earlier i, I just want to work and so right now sitting at home doing nothing when i'm not doing anything normally on normal days i feel like i'm wasting time so even though i'm at a point like due to everything going on, we really can't do any work. I still feel like I'm wasting time. And that's kind of one of those frustrating, like, uh, things like where I can't, where there's nothing I could really do about it, but I'm still like, damn, I want to work. <laughs> like, I want to make something happen. Like, I hate just like sitting here. I feel so useless right now. <laughs> there you go, buddy. It's time for the final lap here on the Under the Hood podcast. Ryan, I'm going to dish out some questions this or that style. Uh, and just give me the first answer okay, that pops into your head. So let's start out with a racing-related question. If you can drive a race car on any track in the world, where would it be and why? Would you um, drive Xfinity at Iowa. Any racetrack in the world, mm -hmm. Xfinity at Iowa. That is why? Iowa Speedway is by far the most badass racetrack in the country. And the Xfinity car is by far one of the most difficult cars I've ever had to drive. What's your favorite guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure song? song? I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, uh, Young Gravy. Young Gravy. Young Gravy. Who um, is Young Gravy? He, he, his, his music is just very cringy. It's like rap, but it's not. Look up like Mr. Clean. It's it's great. I want to use it in a video with my race car eventually. Mr. Clean yes. by Young Gravy. Yes. What a combination. What was your biggest biggest splurge? splurge. Um, I think it's actually kind of happening now. I'm kind of looking into doing some, getting some better iRacing equipment. I'm currently iRacing off a TV tray on my laptop, so I kind of need a better setup. <laughs> Don't need it, but I just, it's a preference thing. Yeah, I You'd think. You'd like it. I'm not going to drop a whole bunch of money on it, but I definitely just need an upgrade. <laughs> Best stress reliever? Um, 
I like going for drives and blasting music. What was your favorite cartoon oh, as a kid? Man, there's so many. Coming home from school and watching Courage the Cowardly Dog. I remember that show. That was my favorite. What's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, when people are just rude for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like if they start trying to blow you off for no reason, I don't like that. Like I just had a phone conversation the other day and they really irked me the wrong way. And I was like, okay, this is... <laughs> uh, biggest celebrity oh, crush? Man, my Jennifer Aniston. What is the best chicken nuggets you've okay. ever eaten? So in California, there's these dino chicken nuggies and they come in like a bag and the people that that rented some rented the room at, at our house back in California um their son Chance loves these chicken dinos and they're like I don't know what company makes them I never look at the bag and I'm so angry about it but they're not your Tyson chicken dino nuggets like they're not those because those are not it um no, no, no. I'm not saying anything bad about Tyson. Tyson is still reigning number one in my, like, company nuggets platform, but, like, in my <laughs> corporate nugget. But this chicken dino nugget company, I don't know who they are. I don't know what the company is, but they are the best chicken nuggets I've ever had. Can you tell me where your chicken nugget review podcast So it it was kind of a thing that I had been thinking about, like back in November, October of 19, 2019. It's just something that I kind of thought of because I always talk about how much I love chicken nuggets and I genuinely do. And um, I always wanted to do, I never wanted to do a podcast, but I always wanted to kind of have a show where I just, where we told stories. And if it led to being like a podcast, kind of like how the Nuggie Review is now, then so be it. It, it worked out very well. Um, it led to a very neat, um, a neat way to get the drivers to relax, to tell their stories, to tell their secrets, to be themselves in front of a camera and talk and tell their stories and, and also grade some chicken nuggets. And, you know, when, when else do you get to see Haley Deegan talking about signing a butt cheek while eating a chicken nugget like you just don't get that so (laughs) and uh finally uh best piece of advice you ever got the best piece of advice i ever got i remember it was about a year and a half ago someone told me and this is kind of goes into like some of the stuff i said earlier about being serious in my work ethic but someone always wants to be in your spot So you have to work as hard as you can to maintain that. Someone always wants to be in your spot. Someone always wants to be that Xfinity driver. Someone always wants to be that Fox sports guy. Someone always wants to be that guy. It's, there's always a guy who wants to come for your spot. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Under the Hood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to subscribe and follow the podcast on your favorite platform.